Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. I'm your host, Brian. Hey, thanks for listening in. This is Robert. Hey, I'm Zach. Join us for each episode as we apply the gospel to dive into the inner workings of the Christian faith. Are you agnostic or atheist and want to understand Christianity better? Want to learn more about Jesus? Discuss the differences between the modern and early churches? or maybe explore some of the Bible's most interesting characters, then we hope you'll join us in Achieving Christian Thought. Welcome back uh, to another episode of Gospel Talk. Um, we are really starting to get uh, uh, deep into this uh, here. Um, if you joined us for the last episode, we started introducing Jesus, started laying some of the groundwork for the the historical and the biblical evidence of uh, Jesus existing. Um, I think that's uh, where you have to start, is at least acknowledge that he was a real person, a real individual that walked the earth. And once you can kind of accept that and you can and you can believe that he existed, then we can start diving into who he was as a person, who he was as God, um, which is going to kind of be the focus of this episode is tackling um, uh, the duality of him being both fully human and fully God, um, not a half and half uh, situation like a, a lot of people try to teach. But uh, yeah, so welcome, Zach. Welcome, Robert, to our uh, next episode here. So um, yeah, I can't wait to dive into it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's exciting stuff. So real quick, kind of before... Before we dig in to kind of talking about Jesus as a person and Jesus as God, I think we need to take just a quick step back um, just for those listeners who are still kind of on the fence. They're not quite sure what they believe. Um, and let's just briefly, I, I know we're going to tackle it on a different episode and we're going to dive a lot deeper in here but briefly kind of touch on why jesus needed to exist and um or what you guys talk about in this episode may uh may lead into that a little bit better but we we talked about the proofs that, that jesus existed but but why why was he sent if if he was messiah if he was the son of god um why was he needed well it, it's actually a great a great question and and it actually is the answer to uh you know the the great great um position of you know, if god's there why doesn't he do something with all the pain and suffering mm -hmm. evil mm -hmm. uh, you know kind of like the moral argument that we had rehashed a couple episodes back ago um and you know it's kind of like okay you you want an answer to the problem of suffering well here's god coming into our world to take on the suffering 
we deserve. Um, not not that might be a misstatement uh, there. Not necessarily, but as a point of clarification, um, uh, the the idea um, of the concept of evil is it's really easy to point things being evil on a humanitarian, a humanistic aspect of it. Um, whenever we're talking about, you know, rape, murder, child molestation, sex trafficking, and all those things. And those things are evil. They are, absolutely. But at the same time, there's also another level to that evil. There's another level that Jesus brings about in this, you know, when he talks to several people in the Gospels talks about you know if you look at a woman and lust in your heart for her you've committed adultery already so it's he's 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 elevating it's not just acts that you have that you do it is who you are as a human being we as our very nature have a default that default is um uh missing the mark if you can imagine, um, uh, you know, that's the concept of what sin is. There's, there's a certain standard, a certain mark, and it's God's standard, it's God's mark. And humanity misses the mark every time in every aspect, whether it's, whether it's about sex, whether it's about finances, whether it's about generosity, whether it's about... Know, handling all these other issues, whatever whatever issue you can assert, humanity gets it wrong. Even sometimes, whenever we get it right, there's still the issue of, okay, I've had wrong thoughts, or I've had all these wrong things in my life that I've done, or I've said, or I've thought, or whatever. Even if I never commit those things, even if I never do those things, or have a different belief about God. There are consequences for those actions. There's consequences for those beliefs. And the, the fact that um, it's kind of like it manifests sin in a way, manifests itself differently in each individual. Like someone might struggle with paganism, and another person might struggle with hedonism or sex, you know, whatever. They're all symptoms of the same disease, and that disease is throughout all of humanity. And so, Jesus is the answer to that. And I mean, I know it sounds clichéic, it's actually true that Jesus is the answer. And Robert, if you want to have insight on that, go for it. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, Zach tackled that question kind of from the existential point of view, you know, why is there suffering? Just to lay out the gospel itself as a story, um, you know, just the fact that... Uh, you know, God created everything, it was good, then it fell, and basically what that means is, you know, we separated ourselves from God in an essential part of our souls, and that's why the world is broken as it is, and we discussed these things a few episodes ago, but the reason God sent a Messiah, the reason God sent his son into the world was to be uh, kind of that life raft. You're drowning, and God has thrown something for you to hold on to before you go down. And um, I actually had someone, and I forget who, but said that the gospel in a nutshell, if you get theological with it, 
That it's basically, you know, God sent God into the world to save the world from God. Because Satan and hell is not your ultimate danger in the Christian worldview, the Christian story. The ultimate danger that humans face is the wrath of God himself. And so to save us from himself, it's actually his, his hands are tied because of his nature. Since he's holy, he has to punish evil. And then he found it inside of us. And so he's actually trying to, he actually, he's working his own loophole. Since he must get rid of all evil and in order for there to be paradise, Jesus is the way to escape that eradication when it comes. And, and of course, that's offensive to many, many people. That's the logic of God's economy. Since he's good, he must behave as though he were good, perfectly good. That's where Jesus comes in. Yeah, one, uh, one perfect human being who was acted as the sacrificial lamb, um, yeah, to, to absorb all that mankind has done as, as as evil but um yeah so let's 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 dive in um as far as uh, uh the topic for for this episode so i know a lot of misconceptions out there and i even think there's some churches and some christians who teach and believe this that you know, Jesus was was half God, half man, or he was fully man who was just in touch with God. But if you if you follow the gospel, the gospel clearly lays out that he is one hundred percent man and one hundred percent God. So uh, that seems like a, a paradox. That that seems like that's not really possible. So uh, let's let's dive into that. Sounds like a plan, and I get the easy part of talking <laughs> about his humanity, because it's, it's you know, and, and obviously we're going to use the the Bible as our reference point. Obviously, last episode we talked a lot about the uh, extra biblical resources that Robert mentioned, um, the fact that Jesus actually existed, and you know, lived and died. And then historically, uh, the event of resurrection took place. Uh, so let's unpack it a little bit. So what does it mean when Jesus entered our world? Um, because there's a lot of ideas out there, but let's let's actually look at what the Bible says. Okay, so there was a lady named Mary uh, who was a sinner who was a regular Jewish woman. No, that kind of throws some there's some red flags there for some of our uh, people of a different denomination. But uh, she was just a woman, nothing special, nothing amazing about her. Uh, she actually, even in her uh, one of the songs that she talks, like she sings, uh, kind of like a uh, a prayer, so to speak, and a praise also, is she admits that she's a sinner. Um, so there's no no reason for Mary worship. Although I know that can stand them sit uh, stand on some people's toes. Anyways, so there was Mary, who was roughly probably about thirteen, fourteen years old. She gets betrothed to a man named Joseph, and Joseph is probably maybe late teens, early twenties, roughly. Mm -hmm. Um, and they get betrothed. What that means is they're married. Away, but they they can't consummate their marriage and 
can't um, can't do the deed, so to speak. That's well, we can't. We can't. We're Christians. We're not supposed to talk about that. Okay. Whoa, whoa. No, it's okay. It's okay. We. I mean, <laughs> as long as it's appropriate, it's okay. You know. Um, but so betrothal just meant that you were um, you were promised to each other, and actually, in order to get separated, you actually had to get divorced. So in that betrothal, there was like pact, an agreement between the daughter's family and the the suitor or the 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 future husband. There was an agreement. There was a dowry, all those things, and it was legally binding. Okay. It's important because in in her daily life, she finds out you know, an angel comes to her from Samaria and says, hey, guess what, Mary? You're going to have a baby. And Mary's like, what? Ooh, people what? are going to talk. <laughs> people are going to talk. And then she's like, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I've not been with anybody. I can't. I can't. There, there, you know, there's, a, there's a process here. She's like, I've not been with anybody. And the angel's like... Skipped over a crucial step here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's, there's a step there. And, but the angel's like, yeah, God's got this, okay? I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, if anybody's listening in. Or, <laughs> and, I mean, this is, you know, paraphrased. Um, and so he's like, all right. You know, there, you know talk about uh, Mary... Uh, that's a step of faith, uh, because one, uh, she's betrothed, so people are going to talk, first off, and two, it's going to be a, an attack on her character, because if anybody learns about this, guess what? They're going to be like, ha ha, so Mary, you've been visiting the boys in the field when no one's around. Um, so, but she chose to say, yes, Lord. She chose to hear that humiliation of people scorning her and and chose to follow with God's plan, okay? Then enter Joseph. Joseph learns that, hey, because, you know, there's a passage of time. Again, paraphrasing. Um, Joseph learns that she's pregnant. Or she tells Joseph, hey, I'm pregnant. And Joseph's like, what? <laughs> I can't. No, wait, let's, let's, let's back up. And so instead of having her public, because there were repercussions for this, okay? There were repercussions for a woman to be found out to be harlot. "Quote unquote," uh, or you know, you know, promiscuous. I guess is a better way of putting it. Um, there were repercussions for that. And so Joseph, being a just guy, not wanting to humiliate humiliate her, says, "Okay, we're going to get a divorce, but I'm going to keep it secret. I'm going to keep it under the you know the download, so to speak. And so that way, you don't have to deal with a whole lot of the repercussions. We'll just we'll just um, we'll just annul this." the betrothal and be done with it. The problem was God wasn't finished with Joseph. God comes, or I think it was the angel, excuse me, comes to Joseph in a dream saying, hey, he's not been messing around with anybody. This is of God. Don't be afraid. Take her as your wife. 
And Joseph, being a man of God, you know what? I don't care what other people think. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to love God. I'm going to marry Mary. I'm going to marry Mary. You know, <laughs> kind of funny. Sorry. A little tangent <laughs> there. So, nine months later, Jesus is born. This earthly body, he had a beginning. Uh, uh, I think there's, um, I can't remember, there's there's actually a historical reference for something. In a, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so roughly about 3 B.C., or take a couple years, roughly, um, Jesus is born. And so there's your first point. Jesus actually had a physical birth. It was not, you know, a product of man and woman. He was a product of a woman surrendering to, surrendering to God, and not in a sexual way, but just in a miracle way. So I, I want to put that out there because there might be some misconceptions, um, and I think there actually are a few misideas about that. Jesus, mm-hmm. um, sorry, God the Father did not have sex with Mary. That did not happen. Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and through a miracle that there is a natural process where you know two cells, the sperm and the egg, come together, and it makes a child. What God did is he overshadowed creation and did a miracle. That's what a miracle is, where God literally violates the laws that he created and does something supernatural. So Mary has a baby boy. And so, just like anything else, they take him to the temple. Uh, He gets named. I'm kind of just fast-forwarding th- through a lot of this because, I mean, you we're about to actually approach the holiday season in our recordings, so it's kind of fitting. But, you know, by the time this actually gets out into public, it will be a little bit later. But, yeah, if any of our, if any of you listening want to kind of follow along uh, with us here, if you go to Matthew 1, verse 18, that starts kind of the... Um, the the Christmas story of the birth of Jesus, um, uh, to which uh, Zach's referencing. Absolutely, and 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 you know, and the the reality of it is that took place in history in time. Okay, mm-hmm. so now we're going to jump ahead to Jesus is twelve years old. The reason why I pause here um, is because a lot of people, you know, they they talk about the Gospels. They talk about, you know, where was Jesus in those 30 years? You know, there's this big question. I actually, I think it was a couple months ago, I uh, was in a used bookstore. I was happening to just browse the Christian section, and, and there was a book there. It's an old book from the 80s. It talked about how Jesus, for his call to ministry, uh, he went to India. And that's I'm not I'm just I'm gonna be honest, that's hogwash. Jesus did not go to India. Jesus was a Jew, okay? He was a very and, and the, the concept of Judaism kind of like there was no like how could I put it this way? Um Jerusalem and Israel were Yahweh, the the God of the Bible. That is like 
spiritual capital. Jesus doesn't need to go to India. He doesn't need to go anywhere. You know, he's already in like the premium location, so to speak, of of religion of of of, of his day. Okay, that's that's an important thing to keep in mind because a lot of people forget Jew, Jesus was a Jew, uh, and that he lived in. Israel in Jerusalem, well, not in Jerusalem, but he traveled to Jerusalem. He traveled to the temple. I say this because when he was 12, um, he's going with his mom and dad to the temple, and he gets separated from them. And one of the things that happens from that is he has a discussion with the the Pharisees of that day and that time and and basically kind of blows their mind. He's like a child prodigy. And they're like, whose whose son is this? The reason why they're asking the question is because he's astounding them, and and the way the Jewish uh, culture worked at that time is a child was exposed to the the Torah. They were exposed to um, the the actual the first five books of the Bible, and they were taught to memorize those books and how well they memorized it moved them up in the religious hierarchy, so to speak. So, like, the fact that Jesus at age 12 was, like, really astounding these people, these Pharisees and these Sadducees, like, whoa, whose kid is this? We want to scout him for our team, so to speak, if that makes sense. And so Mary and Joseph, they find Jesus. He's and his, you know, they're, like, scolding him, and he's like, what? This, I'm, I'm supposed to be about my father's business. I'm supposed to be talking and walking and living and doing this, and 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 you know, and Mary you know, is like kind of rebukes him. Not, I think it's more of a like a, a a parental parental sort of rebuke. It says that Jesus kind of listened to them, so to speak. Like in other words, he come he he honored his father and mother and listened to what they had to say. And then, for the most part, the text. It's really quiet. Again, a lot of people insert, you know, his travels to India in this time period, but that did not happen. Um, and, I, and, and the reason why I say that is because the actual Gospels, um, Luke and I believe it's Mark, refer to Jesus indirectly, um, talking about where he has been. Um, I think it's, uh, I believe it's Luke four sixteen through... Something. Uh, it's after the temptation. And it's after a lot of things have happened. You know, the baptism and the temptation. Um, Jesus goes to Nazareth, and it makes the point of saying, "As was his custom." He and it says also that he returned to Nazareth, where he was brought up. Um, mm-hmm. So the fact that Jesus lived in Nazareth, he was raised there. And then I think also talks about um, his dad, Joseph, was a carpenter, so which most likely meant Jesus uh, was apprenticed to his father, um, which made Jesus a carpenter. So what was he doing in these 30 years before his public ministry began? Well, he was being a son. He was being a bigger, an older brother because after Mary and Joseph... Uh, let me back up. After Mary had Jesus, um, they were allowed. I know this is you know, 
crazy to think, but they were allowed to be a married couple if you follow my meaning. And so Joseph and Mary had other sons and daughters. You know, there there is a group that teaches that that's not the case. The Bible clearly says that he had brother that he had brothers and sisters, half brothers and sisters. Still, nonetheless, he had family aside from his father and his mother. Um and Elizabeth and Zachariah and, and John, which were cousins. Um, so, again, again, there's Jesus' family. There's his upbringing. He's in Nazareth. He's learning to be a carpenter. And all the while, he's just growing in wisdom and truth. And as the scripture summarizes, he's just doing those things. And then, throughout the Gospels, you see his humanity. You see him sleep. You see him eat. You see, I mean, it doesn't talk about this you know, because it's not the focus of, you know, trying to prove how much of a human he is. I guarantee you, there's times, I know, it kinda, it's kind of weird saying it, I know, I get it. But there's times where Jesus might have had ass and might have, I mean, I, I, I get it, I know, I know. It's like we're talking about Jesus, we're not supposed to go there. But the reality of it is, he was human. You know, he was divine. He was divine. He was God. He was also a hundred percent human, meaning that his body functioned as a human body. All the things that the human body does, Jesus' body did. Now, I mean, were there were there instances where he was fasting and praying? And all those things, absolutely. But don't miss the fact he was fully human also. In that, meaning that, you know, there was times he woke up, he might have had bedhead. You know, his hair messed up. His beard might have been a little bit janky, you know. Might have been, you know, he might have had B.O. Because there weren't showers. No, I mean, some of this stuff, it sounds silly, being a carpenter, you know, hitting his thumb with the hammer, you know, missing oh, yeah. a nail, you know. Absolutely. I mean, and, and that and that's so you know, I mean, I, I'm 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 kind of overemphasizing these points only because we don't like to talk about them, but the reality of it is was there. And the reality of it is, you know, there's also instances in scripture where Jesus has a sense of humor. And you kind of see it. Like, he talks about, you know, no parent gives their child a snake. Now, we don't see the humor in that, but, I mean, there was humor there that, I mean, that kind of goes along in the fact that he was human, you know, that he lived, he walked. You know, there's the instance of where he was hungry, and he went out to the fig tree looking for figs, and because there's no figs, he cursed it. And and then he later used a teaching tool. Um, so, I mean, the fact that his body, you know, there was times where he had to, like, he was exhausted. There was times where he was hungry. And there was times where he was thirsty. There was, I mean, a great example is the night of the crucifixion. Or, excuse me, um, the night before his arrest, you know, whenever he's identified. He's literally praying asking god to you know remove this but not my will but yours still like he's he's under such strain that his body is literally 
I can't remember the um, medical term there, but there's a medical term of where, like, he's in such anguish that his body is literally producing blood, drop, like, sweating and having droplets of blood. Um, that has actually been proven that that actually, it's rare, but it does happen. It can happen. Again, all these things emphasize the fact that he actually lived and walked. And then he was crucified. And, you know, a lot of our depictions of Jesus, whenever, um, whenever you know, you see the pictures of Jesus, a lot of them have the fact that he had a covering over his you know, man area. I'll just call it that. I know this kind of sounds weird, but yeah, I'll say it. You know, and there's some people who speculate that he might have been completely nude. Like, the fact that like, he was completely humiliated on display for all the people to see and mock whenever he was crucified. And, and again, the fact that he was actually crucified, again, points to the fact that he was actually a person. He was actually physical. He actually, when they hit him with the cat and nine tails and, and were flogging him, like it was actually ripping his flesh. They were nailing him to the cross. Agony of those nails going through his skin. He felt those things. If he wasn't already in shock, you know, he felt those things. Um, the complete agony of all those things. And then he, his body, you know, he, being God, he could have endured that and kept going and kept going, but instead he surrendered to the point of death. He allowed his body to die. I think... That's one thing that in his divinity, I mean, like we kind of just kind of bypass. He literally surrendered and allowed himself to die. Um, and I think that is, you know, because it goes back to the fact that there actually has to be that death that we have to pay and that Jesus paid. He paid the complete and total sin debt for all those who, all those who choose to believe. Now, I mean, there's... Some, uh, I guess, dissension in that. There's a little bit of argumentation there, but he died for everybody. And the fact it remains that um, that death is a physical, bodily death. And then three days later, he physically, bodily arose from the dead. Um, I say this again. I mentioned it, I think, last... It was either last week or it was earlier this episode. Um, if you want to find out what true heresy is, ask people about Jesus. When I ask them about their view on the rapture, when I ask them about the view on God's sovereignty versus free will, don't ask them about those things because there's... there's in those secondary issues, there's, there's, there's grace and there's the opportunity to be... Um, to um, disagree in those things. But who Jesus is, what he did, the fact that he lived and he died and he rose bodily again, those are core values of Christianity. And if you attack those values, if, if, you, if you're on the fence and you're like, what do Christians actually believe? How can I discern whether I am a believer or not? What do you say Jesus is? Because that is the true test. 
not who, what teacher do you listen to, not what apologetics person do you adhere to, not whether or not you think Christians should be involved in politics or not. Those things are important discussions. You need to have those discussions. You need to have those opinions. But ultimately, who is Jesus? And if the church that you go to says that he was not fully God and he was not fully man, then you need to run from that church because that church is in heresy. And I say that boldly and I say that unapologetically because that is the truth of Christianity, Jesus being fully God and fully man. I'm kind of getting on a soapbox and I apologize. And yeah, that that is the central, that is the core of Christianity. That is make it or break it. Who Jesus is, what he did, the fact that he actually lived a perfect life and died a death that I deserve is the foundations of what Christianity is. And I will turn it over to Grandmaster Robertos on the divinity of Jesus. Have fun. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. Uh, that was a great treatment of the humanity of Jesus. Now we're going to the part that has historically been, you know, the biggest source of contention, uh, the biggest source of, honestly, to, for lack of a better term, hurt feelings, offense in Christianity, among many things. But uh, one of the most central, necessary teachings about Christ, not just that he was human, because if you can uh, prove that he physically existed, that was our topic last week, and it would follow that he was human. Now, the hard part for most anyone is believing that he was human and divine at the same time. Now, this has even been a source of contention with many, many cults or uh, denominations that have strayed from the Orthodox teaching because even those groups that will acknowledge the, uh, the special place of Jesus, those who will actually acknowledge the special place of the Bible, God's message for the world, these people will still try to downplay the, the full divinity of Jesus. I mean, it's almost as old as the church itself, this idea that Jesus is special, but he's not absolutely divine like his father is. And yet that's absolutely essential to the actual Christian message, uh, believe it or not. Because in order for a sacrifice to fully cover a human being fallen in sin, the way we described it at the beginning of this episode, in order for that to happen... On one hand, you've got to have someone who is genuinely human. Zach touched on that. In order to represent the humans as a sacrifice for all. At the same time, he's got to be someone who is perfectly sinless. That's why he was not descended uh, from a normal birth. He's not a, an average human being, or else he would have been born in the same sin nature as any of us. He had to be sinless in order to die for the sins of someone else. If he had had any kind of sin within him, like literally anyone else in history, he would have had to have died for his own sins, and so he couldn't be a substitute for anybody. Uh, Hebrews plug, unshamelessly plug there. Uh, if you have questions about that, you know, uh, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament talks about that. Yes, it does. And uh, basically, uh, also he had to be God in order to fully... Wrap your mind around Jesus as the gospel presents him in the New Testament. Basically, 
had to be human and he had to be God himself in order to be uh, perfectly sinless, fully actual in his holiness. And that's a little bit of jargon that I won't get on. But what they're basically saying is, <clears throat> say Jesus was an angel. There are many cults that believe he was an angel. Uh, but if he was an angel, it would be possible for him to fall. That's literally what happened to Satan. He is an angel who has fallen. Jesus could have fallen. Even if he didn't, the possibility would still be there. And so you had to have an eternal sacrifice, therefore something that could never, not just is clean, but could never get unclean. God himself is the only one to do that. Since God himself is the only one who is fully, actually eternal, also, his own sacrifice, the sacrifice of God himself is the only thing that would have been fully and uh, actively eternal anyway, because to sacrifice an angel would only carry things so far. This sacrifice has to be a sacrifice for all of time. And in order for that to be a sacrifice for all of time, you've got to be able to uh, have a being whose sacrifice would be an eternal sacrifice. So some people accuse this of just kind of going up in the air with philosophy. In order for uh, Jesus' sacrifice to really do everything it promises to do in the advertisement, then he's got to be the right kind of person for the job, and only God is. Only God alone is the hero of this story. That's the whole point of the Old Testament. Every hero the Jews grew up learning about grew up learning that every person is fallen and wicked and flawed except for God alone, Yahweh himself. So for someone to come in and uh, rise above every figure that these, uh, these apostles and disciples who were Jewish to lean on and learn about and adore David, Solomon, especially Moses, um, Elijah, Elisha, uh, Je uh, Josiah, all these people, in order for them to fall at the feet of someone else, he has to be above them all. Hezekiah, Obadiah, Azariah. There's like a whole bunch of Arias, by the way. Like Zechariah, Jeremiah. A shameless plug for my name. Sorry. <laughs> Darth Vader and and uh, Gilbert Gottfried and Hansel and Gretel and all the names from the Bible. But uh... Yeah, I don't think that... Uh, no, not, not that... No. <laughs> that's that's a negatory there, Ghost Rider. Crap, crap, crackle and pop and the chocolate, but out yeah, anyway. <laughs> uh, my, my brain just derailed for thirty seconds. So I apologize. You better, um, better apologize. So, but what I'm getting at is this: this being has to be divine, or else that sacrifice would have a limit to it. There'd be a cap on it, and and or and this kind of sounds wild to say for some, but. If he was any less than eternal, and only God is, so if he was anything other than God, his sacrifice would have only been enjoyed by a select few for a select amount of time. But because the sacrifice was God, so the story goes in the New Testament, the sacrifice is eternal for literally anybody who, who comes and wants it without limit or uh, without any kind of capacity. It just keeps going and going forever. So it's one thing to say that, it could be totally false. Mm -hmm. I could sit here and say, he has to be God in order for the gospel to be... The gospel itself could be false. What does scripture say about it? And like Zach said, that is our vantage point for all of this. 
according to the scripture, there's no way around the fact that he is God. For those who are interested in really looking, uh, one of those four Gospels we've talked about, the Gospel of John, along with Hebrews later in the New Testament, those two together are a perfect combination to really, truly flesh this out. John opens up his whole Gospel not with historical detail, not with uh, mapping out a certain part of Jesus' life. He actually goes into a little bit of poetry that reflects back to Genesis. You know, in the beginning, God created. On goes, in the beginning was the logos, a term for the word, the person. That's Greek, by the way. Yes, the Greek word, the consciousness behind all things. And points to Jesus and says, this is him. And he basically says the Logos was God. In uh, Hebrew, uh, Colossians, actually, I believe, says in very nature, Jesus was God. So to really summarize the theology before you get into the evidence for it, theology looks at all of this and kind of pieces this image together of Jesus and the Father being of the exact same substance, the same stuff. You know, we have an image of wood and plastic being made of the same stuff. You can visualize what it feels like, what it smells like, what it handles. Jesus and God are somehow, in a spiritual metaphysical sense, of the exact same fluff, the exact same cut of the cloth, the exact same stuff, the same essence, the same power, the same eternity, the same coexistence with one another, and yet they're two totally separate people, two totally separate consciences along with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and and a great example of that is the baptism of Jesus. Whenever Jesus comes up out of the water, it says the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. A lot of times people say that it was a dove. No, it's just saying the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. So there's the Holy Spirit. And then it says in the scripture, it says, you know, behold, this is my son. Uh, Today I've begotten him, I believe is the exact quotation there. But that's the Father speaking. So you see the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then later, still Robert's Thunder, but I'm going to steal a little bit of it just because I can. Um, and uh, John, I think it's 16, it talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He says, the Father will send one like me. Um, that's a very, very important thing. I mean, he Jesus just elevated that thing that uh, that is coming later after him as being equal to him. That's a pretty big deal because, you know, although the word Trinity is not in Scripture, you know, the concept, the idea most definitely is. Yeah. Um, and all the hints that he constantly dropped for the people around him, uh, some of the most famous stories in Scripture, moments when he gave his disciples direct glimpses of who he was. And this isn't even the Gospel of John I'm about to mention, but the Gospel of Matthew 17 says that he took his disciples, especially the three in his inner circle, the three closest to him, Simon, Peter, James, and John, and he takes them up to the top of this mountain. Once they're at the top, it says he actually reveals himself fully. They absolutely freak out. He, turn, he starts to shine. The earth starts to shake. Uh, they can barely look at him, let alone stand on their own two feet, and they get this image of a Jesus who is so much more than just a, uh, a dirt-covered homeless carpenter preaching wise words. And you get this image, this quick little glimpse 
before the icing on the cake, Elijah and Moses, two of the famous names from Scripture, show up. They actually start worshiping him along with the disciples. So you get this image of Jesus for just a moment, and it's gone. And the disciples spent the rest of their lives remembering that moment that night when they got to see him in his fullness, just a small glimpse of what they would see in heaven. On top of this, we have a very famous story back to John. I won't lie, back to John for this one, but um, a lot of people have heard the story of uh, the woman caught in adultery. Jesus says, those of you who have no sin, uh, don't ca- uh, cast uh, the first stone. No one can condemn her. He says, woman... Uh, neither do I condemn you. Uh, he dropped these hints all the time that I can forgive sins. No one is good except God alone. Why are you, person on the street, calling me Jesus good? So these small, subtle hints. Then, of course, there were times, especially with the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, that's when he would drop the bombs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same chapter John, actually, carries over from the woman in adultery over into this very heated discussion with the Pharisees. And, I mean, it gets ugly uh, if you really dig into what they said to each other. The Pharisees accused Jesus' mother Mary of being a whore, having slept with a man and giving birth to him out of wedlock. But he basically comes at them and says, if you knew my father, you would know who I am. And he ends this with something so blasphemous, they actually try to kill him on the spot. You know, forget crucifixion. He needs to die yesterday. Uh to a Jewish person, this is very, very, very shocking, but it might need a little explanation for people. When God, Old Testament Yahweh, appears to Moses, the Jews grew up hearing this story since they were babies. Uh, uh, Moses asks this God, what is your name? And instead of giving a typical name like the pagan world would expect this God to have a name, there was Dagon, Baal, Astareth, all these different names of gods this God just said, I am who I am. So the the name Yahweh associated with this Old Testament God is simply I am. That's what it translates. He exists, period, plain and simple. Not so simple, but that's all you need to know for now. So they got this image of I am being associated with God. And so Jesus actually uses these consonants for himself, I am, in a way, and at certain times when the Jews actually hear a connection to Yahweh in his words, and it would shock them to death. Um, he actually, in that same conversation, he mentions Abraham. Pharisees, they basically blast him and say, you weren't even born yet when Abraham was around, obviously. How are you going to talk as if you knew Abraham personally? Jesus says, before Abraham was even born himself, am. And they actually picked up rocks to chuck at him in that instant because he was literally dropping the bomb of saying in their own in their own language and culture, the way they would understand it, they under, they took it as, I, Jesus, am on par with Yahweh the Almighty himself. Yeah, so a lot of times um, when people say like today, like, Jesus never claimed to be God. Yeah, he did. Uh, no, he doesn't say it like... You know, Several times. Modern day humans like us, we go, oh well, just say I'm God. You know that's enough. Oh, um, Jesus said it to those people in that day, in that time, that he was God, and that's what because it because he says, what good work are you about to stone me for? And they answer, they say, you a man claiming to be God. 
he literally made the, they picked up, they understood exactly what he was saying. He was saying that he's God. He, they, he was. And uh, there are other instances of the same. Um, I am drop. Uh, the story where Jesus walks on water and the disciples see him from a distance and they panic because they think it was a ghost. Uh, their culture, you know, they didn't shy away from ideas of spiritual things. Um, there was a, an area called Bashan near Caesarea Philippi that people just didn't tend to go. And uh, Jesus would go with, uh, Jesus was willing to go into those places, but they were afraid of demons and spirits in the land. So they see Jesus from a distance. They think he's one of these spirits and they start to panic. As soon as Jesus is within earshot, he says, don't fear, it is I. It's the English translation there, but what he's kind of saying in the Greek is, do not fear, I am. So he's kind of saying, you know, I am over the storm. I am the God over this water. And in that very instant, in that very quick, simple expression, they would just get this message all at once in their Jewish minds. So Jesus didn't shy away from claiming to be God. People would fall down and worship Jesus, and he would never stop them. Uh, people would try to worship angels in Scripture, like in Revelation, and they would stop them, say, no, no, don't worship me, worship God alone. But Jesus would accept that worship. He would always applaud them for their faith. Oh, that, and with that, going back to our, um, like, what C.S. Lewis is talking about, like, I mean, if he was not God, and he accepted people's worship, and you got a problem, okay? I mean, that's a huge, huge no-no. <laughs> Like, if some being is claiming to be God and talking about forgiveness of sins, they're not, and you need to run away from that person, that, that being, because that is Satan, that is an enemy, that is a fallen angel, you know? And the fact that, um, that Jesus, Jesus accepted that worship points to the fact that there, was, there is no middle ground with Jesus. Oh, yeah. And to milk the Lewis argument for a minute, you know, the reason Lewis came to the conclusion that he was Lord as opposed to liar or lunatic, just he looked at what the gospel said. When we tackled uh, the historicity of the gospels last episode. He looked at what the gospel said at face value, and he said, well, if Jesus was a liar, everything about Jesus has too much integrity to try to convince me that he was a lying type. Jesus was too full of truth. Everyone who knew him best loved him too much. Why would he lie about this one thing, especially this thing that got him killed? He didn't get anything beneficial from it. <laughs> he only... didn't get anything except for nailed to a cross and, and scourged severely. But, you know, it's okay. Oh, yeah. Benefits galore. But uh, <laughs> it's that retirement package. <laughs> but uh, uh, he couldn't be a liar. So then Lewis said, well... I really can't believe that he's a lunatic. Maybe he was off his rocker and believed that he was God the way that some people believe that they're the Joker from Batman and break away from the asylum and get caught down the street. <laughs> I mean, I remember a story of a man who was found dead two blocks down from the from a real asylum. He had broken out dressed as Superman and tried to stop a robbery. So, you know, for... <laughs> really? Yeah. Seriously? True story. Wow. And for someone to have that mentality and then paint Jesus with that same brush... But hear him give the Sermon on the Mount, that's not going to happen. <laughs> if someone's insane enough to say, I hold the whole world in my hands, and yet to literally be the basis 
of Western morality for two millennia and save countless lives, uphold countless women simply by changing people's hearts and minds over these subjects and yet be completely insane the entire time? That's enough to make you rethink. You have to have a lot of faith. Oh, gosh. (laughs) It's an existential crisis to the max to think that literally every bit of morality in our culture was devised by a psychopath. Lewis saw this and said, I can't believe any of it. He's got to be Lord. Neither can he be a legend, as some people say, and we've covered that before. Uh, If you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to that and save us from covering stuff we've already tread. Knowing that he's Lord, one step further, and we're running out of time, and I'll land the plane with this thought. Once you've established in your heart, after following this trail of breadcrumbs over these last several episodes, and come to the conclusion that Jesus was not only obviously fully God and uh, fully man in history, but fully God as well, you have the icing on the cake of trying to think through what it could possibly mean. Say that one person, one consciousness juggled both natures within him at the same time. This is where it gets pretty pretty wild. Um, do you have a Jesus? It mentions at the end of Luke two when Jesus, when Luke finishes his Christmas version, his his Christmas story. He mentions that Jesus grew, and learned and became a functioning member of society just as any any child would become a teenager and become a man, but but would suddenly be able to make things appear out of nowhere. He would know people's thoughts across the room. They wouldn't dispute that. They would actually be terrified wondering how in the world he knew. Um, He would be able to give a message like the ser- like the Sermon on the Mount of Olives. They call it the Little Apocalypse. He goes for two chapters, Matthew 24 and 25. He talks about how the world is going to end, and he says that this will happen and that will happen. Be prepared for it. Be ready for it. And someone raises their hand in the classroom, so to speak, and they say, when is this going to happen? Tell us. Give us a date. And Jesus just says, I have no clue. He knew everything one minute, he knew nothing the next. He had to learn Hebrew for himself in school, in synagogue, but he could confound the people who were supposed to be teaching him when the time was right for that. And it has confused and confounded theologians for millennia. And the only metaphor I can really get to just saying it's kind of like this and leave it alone, it's kind of like a water faucet. We have the ability in the modern world to reach out, turn that water on, either as a trickle or at full blast, or you can just turn the thing off and walk away. And so for Jesus, to what it basically says in the Greek is he put on humanity, kind of like we put on a shirt, without losing his own divinity. So he kind of put on the human role fully, uh, the way we put on a pair of, set of clothes, when he took on humanity, somehow he managed to not lose any part of his divinity at any time. So the metaphor comes in with the faucet is, while Jesus was being human, growing, learning, living his life, being human, uh, as Zach went so well through it, I mean, he grew, he had little girls having crushes on him, he learned to trade, he did everything a human would do except for sin, but... 
But that's the big one. But he was somehow omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, just like his father. And the best way to understand it is that somehow, without losing any of that divinity, he was able to turn it off, on and off at pivotal times, the way we turn that water on and off in the faucet. If he needed to know someone's thoughts, he could turn it on a little, little trickle and get their thoughts directly from their mind. If he needed to raise someone from the dead, he could pour that water out a little bit stronger and let people see him reanimate a corpse, something that science has not yet been able to do. And, and that person still be alive, like completely like able to respond and take off their uh, their uh, bindings like um, with uh, Lazarus. Yes, and he was able to heal broken uh, bones. He was able to heal leprosy they did not want to get near leprosy because it was so contagious <laughs> jesus himself was so contagious that he walked touches the sick man and instead of becoming sick is his wholeness heals the sick man it's like a counterintuitive kind of contagion uh, he was able to take people born blind and make them see for the first time these things have been repeated in hymns and repeated in sermons until they've become cliches People saw him do this and some of the people who saw him do this it spooked them for life some of them came to certain conclusions that offended many people and that was, that's the conclusion that's written in the New Testament somehow it's fascinating but we'll never get to the to the bottom of it fully is how could he juggle both natures to know everything one minute and know nothing the next to trip and fall one minute and to be able to help somebody walk for the first time the next minute get hungry in his stomach thirsty when he was hanging on a cross to get tired and collapse and need some sleep yet to literally be the one who holds the atoms of the universe together like the disciples saw a glimpse of on that mountain and yet both of those together in one person that is the god of the christian faith someone who is literally without equal except for his own father yet someone who is completely and utterly able to identify with us as a fellow human being. And so it doesn't detract from him. It doesn't make him loftier than we can be. That's the whole point of Christianity, is this lofty, unapproachable God, this all-powerful one, came down to us to become like us. Because of that, we can approach him face-to-face -face for the first time. That's the beauty of a of a Jesus who is both God and man at the same time. It's so much more than memorizing a hymn or a Catholic prayer or an Anglican order of service or even a Baptist song, being a Baptist, picking on my own self. So much more than those theological cliches of the faith. It's this beautiful reality that we tend to forget sometimes. And let me ask you this, because this kind of this kind of goes into the um, uh, what we were talking about. So if we look at our culture today, we have all of these superhero movies of all of these beings of um, so much greater power than ourselves, you know, fighting against the forces of evil. Um, you know, all the Marvel movies that are out, all the DC superhero uh, movies. And then you have Sorry. things like, um, 
you have things like uh, Harry Potter, where you have these these wizards who can practice magic and who can do these things that that we can't do, and we have such a fascination with all of these kind of supernatural, uh, superhero type beings that have this power. And people latch on to these, and they're hungry for those stories, and we're enthralled by these stories. But yet, here in the Bible, you literally have a real-life, you know, to kind of boil it down, a real-life superhero of someone who can literally control reality, the, the fabric of space and time, and you know the only superhero was real he he walked among us but yet people reject him so i why do you think that is why do you think there's such a thirst in, in pop culture for all these superheroes and these powerful beings but when you look at the real one that existed everybody kind of turns away uh i would say probably one key thing is uh you know, you look at Iron Man and you look at all these, I'm not trying to get in issues with, you know, copyright or whatever, uh, but all these characters, I mean, they're human. And they don't hold people, they're, they, you know, uh, with the exception maybe of Superman, uh, they're all, like, have issues. They're all flawed or whatever. Um, and they don't hold people accountable. They, they up hold maybe a sense of justice but they don't actually bring judgment upon people whereas god uh, actually says hey you know yeah there's there's consequences to these actions i'm going to hold you accountable uh, and 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 if i think you know just looking at it from my perspective i think that's that's what it is hmm. these uh characters these superheroes are people who are a little bit stronger than us, you know. Aliens also, I throw that in the same thing. They're they have a little bit better technology, but they're still they're still like us. They're still you know no different. They can't really hold a moral judgment against us. Whereas the God of the Bible, the God Jesus, actually can and does say things about you know, hey, you know what? If you sleep with another man's wife, that's wrong. You shouldn't do it. And a superhero doesn't doesn't deal with that. The superhero just goes out and punishes the criminal, the rapist, the terrorist, or whatever. They don't actually come and they don't actually bring moral judgment against you, whereas God does. Yeah, my I, I'm on the exact same page as that. Um, not to just repeat what Zach said, but you know, if this is true, talking about Jesus, if all of this really is true, then everything in your life has got to change, even if it hurts. But there's something in our hearts when we go to a superhero movie, we watch people take out the bad guy. There's a part in our hearts that cheers because we love to see the good conquer the evil. We've talked about that in another episode without getting into it, but just the fact that we have that thirst and that knowledge points to the image of God inside of us. But when it gets too close, because um, I'm trying not to cause any... Uh, copyright issues myself, but you know, someone like uh, I'll, I'll throw out a name if I can't do that, then fine. But uh, Captain America, 
is literally what the Jews expected Jesus to be. Replace uh, the Nazis with the Romans, and you have the Messiah from a Jewish perspective. Give him a sword, put him on a horse, have him leap in, and no one can take him down. Let's cheer that on. When the real Messiah does show up, it's incredible because his power is so much higher than Captain America's. He can do things Captain America could never dream of, let alone the fact that Captain America's fictional. Just play with me here. <laughs> but it exists. That's one thing Captain America can't even think of. But <laughs> He can't actually form a conscious thought. Yes, but uh, you know things he could, these superheroes could never even dream of, and yet how little he actually did. Mm-hmm. did not wipe out all the evil in the world. He didn't go soaring through the air, toppling the Nazis out during World War II. He doesn't uh, clap his fingers and, or snap his fingers or clap his hands and allow every bout of cancer and in the entire world to get healed at once. You think about it, and if he's truly omnipotent, he could have done that. It was within his realm of possibility, but he chose to stay in that one area to preach to that one people group. There was a very strict reason for it. You see his humility in the fact he didn't necessarily intend to show off. He wanted their hearts. Mm-hmm. And you see this desire to grow us into his image because instead of sticking around longer, he only stayed for three public years and then left. But he gave it up to us to preach the gospel. so that One, so that people could hear it from a fellow sinner. Also, so that you know the people who are called to this preaching ministry, the, who are called to, to live for Christ in the world, they're slowly molded into Jesus' image rather than looking up into the sky and seeing Jesus fly across the sky all day. Oh, that would be pretty cool. It would be pretty cool. <laughs> and God knows that in my heart, I would probably wet myself a little bit as a little comic book nerd. <laughs> wow, he, 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 he just not, said that. that. He did not that, satisfy that. that you might, you might want to edit that one part out. I, I don't know. That, that's your call. I'll I'm, just, I'm just thankful that's the only thing I've said so far <laughs> in the several hours we've discussed this. But, wow. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I was waiting for it. There it is. That's the, I mean, that's the Jesus we serve. He could do so much more. He was very, very, very selective in what he chose to do for very, very wise reasons that are above all of our heads to some extent. All the things and, the and Pharisees I think... demanded. Oh, I'm sorry. Just real quick. The Pharisees demanded, and he actually said no because I know your hearts. If I showed it to you, if I showed you all the flashy, boomy things, the shiny things, you still wouldn't believe. You would still reject it. So why bother? And he walked away. But yeah, go ahead. No, um, I, I, and I think the thing that gets a lot of people, and um, I think it's one of the misconceptions about Christianity, is I think a lot of people think that Jesus came the world or people uh non-believers think that christians believe that jesus came to earth to condemn evil men or to um uh kind of fight against evil people and Mm -hmm. that's that's not what he wanted he he came to fight and to defeat evil not to defeat evil men he never had any malice towards any person, any man, any human. He he hated the evil that was consumed that had consumed Earth, but he never had any malice towards any actual person. 
And he actually taught like a true Christian is never going to hate a fellow human, or at least we shouldn't um, if we're following the gospel. We are to hate the evil that twists people, but we never are to hate or condemn the person themselves. And I think that's what gets a lot of people. And correct me if I'm I'm thinking about that wrong, but that's all how all I've always looked at it is it's 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 the evil behind what causes people to act the way that they do is what Jesus was here to defeat, not any evil person or not a group of people or a, a lifestyle of people or anything like that. Yeah, well, and I and I think and I think that's that's one thing you know, our society is you know you you have well-meaning brothers and sisters who are. You know, focusing on a lifestyle or whatever, um, you know, at you know, is contrary to the created order that God has made. Um, but the reality of it is, is that we're all sinners, mm-hmm. and and the point that um, Jesus talks to talks about is like, ever you go to your brother to correct him, first remember your own sins. Yes. So that you can then, you know, you take the log out of your own eyes so that you can help your brother take the speck out of your own eye or uh, out of their eye. And the point is compassion. I think it's really easy for us to focus on the, the sins that we don't understand or, or, or whatever uh, that we don't, that we can't sympathize with. Um, whatever movement idea whatever you want to have insert there the reality of it is um god wants us to show compassion to those people because god showed compassion to us the whole point of the gospel is for god so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that no one should perish but have everlasting life he did not come to condemn the world but he came to Save it. Exactly. And to kind of piggyback the little metaphor with Captain America, and I'll, I'll close with this. Go <laughs> on some weird, like, hour discussion of Captain America and theology. But, well, uh, we can uh, edit that out if we had to. Okay. Uh, so, no, again, uh, let's, not, let's not do that, though. I mean, I, mean, I, I got to get home. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, uh, no, it's literally like a sentence or two. No, but a sentence or two. But, uh, you know, to summarize what was said, you know, you know, we cheer on Captain America on screen as he takes out the Nazis. Like you said, Brian, he came to uh, not take out the Nazis. He came to change the hearts of the Nazis and to save Captain America. Hey. The hero of the story is just as warped and wicked as the villain of the story if the gospel is true. So there are no heroes except that one, Jesus Christ. There are no heroes at all. Every flaw that has ever passed through a superhero's heart, a real person's heart, right here in the real world, all makes them the villain in God's eyes. He alone is perfectly holy. So he has come to change hearts on every side of the conflict. As you said, he, he sweeps it all away. He just ask people to come and embrace him and when the time comes there will be those who have and those who have not in the meantime we just share the story and implore people to consider to do so 
That is the story of Jesus in a nutshell. He came, he died, he saved, and you can be part of this if you want to be. That's perfect. I don't think anything can sum it up better. Um, and so with that, uh, I know we still have so much more to say about Jesus. Um, and we've got several more episodes to really dive in. But um, Zach and Robert, what do you think as far as uh, the next um, the next episode? Should we dive into... Should we dive more into faith and kind of the the core of Christianity and uh, tackling having faith in him and kind of that substitution of our sins and how believing in Jesus actually does save us? Um, that could be our next topic. Or should we dive deeper into jesus's ministry and his life kind of go into his teachings maybe talk about his parables interpret his parables kind of what they mean how we apply them um like like where where do you want this to go next in, in your life <laughs> there's so oh. much to tackle and, oh and it's, <laughs> <laughs> and as to quote as to quote John, I mean, there's books, and then and, yeah, and if yeah. you made, made books for all of it, it would fill everything. I mean, <laughs> I mean, tune in next week as we jump into the mechanics of quantum physics in the light of Jesus. <laughs> that's a, yeah. that's a joke because I don't know anything about quantum physics. <laughs> I'll pretend to until someone calls me out. But uh, yes. <laughs> um, now, seriously, my vote is to go ahead and knock out salvation. Mm-hmm. And then we can go into the juice of the parables because once you kind of sink into that, then you're, you can kind of coast the rest of the way as long as we hurried up and got to that pivotal issue. Or even, or even you know, backtrack. We can focus on salvation and what it means. Then maybe even talk about the Bible, you know, the importance of the Bible, and mm-hmm. why why is it central? Which we've kind of already talked about it a little bit. Even maybe even it could even be its own thing, like where we talk about the New Testament and the Old Testament, the credibility and reliability of it. Because I mean, I feel like if we go because of how how we've been going, we've been going like with this apologetic approach. Someone might be like, "Well, what Bible? Why Bible? What about these?" I mean, we've kind of touched on it about the Gnostic Gospels and stuff like that. Why not all these other books? What about the Apocrypha? What about this, the Pseudepigrapha, and these other things? And, you know, I I wonder if maybe, like, we shouldn't insert a section after salvation on the the Bible and then actually talk about various things or, you know, whatever everyone else wants. Oh, yeah, because honestly, I mean, as long as we're talking about the gospel, the sky's kind of the limit. I mean... Uh, now, not to tie anybody down, but five, six years down the road, theoretically, if we're still doing this, I mean, God alone knows where we're going to be. But, I mean, we could have issue like you could, I mean, you could literally just pick things from a hat, talk about a certain Bible character, talk about a certain topic, mm-hmm. as long as you don't go into politics, please. Except <laughs> <laughs> um, unless that's part of the scripture that we're talking about, and then yeah. we'd just be, you know, honest. Yeah, exactly. Um uh, well, just, how, how about how about we how about we do this? How about um, 
I agree, and I like the the premise. Let's go ahead and dive into salvation and Christ dying for our sins, and and what does that mean um, as the next episode? And then once we kind of lay that foundation, we can go into Jesus's ministry, his teaching, his parables, um, what that what that meant for the people of his time and what it means for us, what how we can apply uh, the teachings um, of his parables uh to, to our life today and then maybe even after that we could take a look back through the old testament and actually start showing all of the examples in the old testament how it led up to jesus and and where you can find jesus within the old testament leading up to his actual birth that'd be great but yeah okay so that will uh, that'll be our our next uh, few episodes that we will um, uh, be putting out here over the next couple of weeks. So uh, for those of you who are just joining us, uh, definitely go back and and start at the beginning of the podcast just to get you caught up. And uh, to those of you who have uh, stuck with us this far, uh, thank you, and uh, we hope you're learning a lot. I know I am, um, and I know I'm having fun uh, here with. Uh, Zach and Robert. So, uh, with that, yep, yep. With that, guys, uh, we will uh, we'll talk to y'all next episode. Yeah. See See you then. Same bat time. Same bat channel. Copyright.